This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 8, Episode 7. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of shows, brought to you by Mountain Man Medical. Today is Wednesday, March 15th, 2023, as of the recording of this episode, and I am your humble host, Riley Bowman. Hello, Riley. And we have our also very, very humble co-host, Matthew Marister. What's up, guys? Glad to be here with you. Glad to be with you as well. On this special episode today, we are talking about concept of not blasting away at targets let's instead just shoot the targets there's a subtle and distinct and yet important difference there Uh, this is coming to you in the context of a recent shooter ready challenge video that we put out there a couple weeks ago and so today's episode is sponsored by laserapp.com l-a-s-r-a-p-p.com is the place to go to learn more about the laser the fantastic laser software there's laser classic and laser x both available i like using the laser x version because i can run it on my ipad which is awesome works very well for my workflow but some people like to still run it on their windows-based computers or laptops and they can use the classic edition both are heavily loaded with all kinds of options and feature sets. LaserX or laser app software is the way to measure data while dry fire practicing, both in terms of hits and accuracy, but also in time. And that's something that is challenging to do sometimes in, in dry fire. So check it out today. Go to laserapp.com. I hope that you'll consider giving them a try. Again, LASRAPP.com. Today's episode also sponsored by Barrel Block, which you can find at barrelblock with a K.com, no C. So B A R R E L B L O K.com. Uh, sometimes I have one sitting around here. I don't today. Barrel Block is our preferred dry fire tool. Actually, I've got one installed. Got to be careful with how I do this on the YouTube so we don't get YouTube algorithms upset. But if you if you look there, you'll see got my Barrel Block installed in in a P320X5 Legion here that I was using for dry fire practice. That is a little bit of extra insurance and safety that you can have at the the tip of your fingers for very, very low investment cost. Go to barrelblock.com and make sure that you are being safe in your dry fire practice today. Of course, it doesn't replace safe practices and following the safety rules, but it's a nice little extra bit of insurance. I would strongly recommend you use barrelblock. Again, barrelblock.com. And and then I mentioned uh, that that we're talking today uh, about some concepts featured in the most recent Shooter Ready Challenge video, which you can find at shooterreadychallenge.com. There's actually quite a repository of dry fire videos there now. Uh, Tons of ideas, concepts, uh, instructional videos, things to just help uh, give you ideas and tips and better ways of conducting your dry fire practice. Sometimes dry fire can get stagnant. Sometimes just having a little bit of extra inspiration can be real beneficial. So you can go over to shooterraychallenge.com and watch the, the most recent video 
which is called Smoke and Hope, which is based on a Steel Challenge stage. Uh, the Steel Challenge is a competition discipline uh, that's kind of sometimes referred to as the Formula One equivalent of shooting in that it is all about pure, raw, dirty, nasty speed of shooting steel targets as absolutely as fast as you possibly can. And I'll tell you, when you watch the top top people do it, it's, it's really an impressive see, feat to see. <clears throat> but uh, one of the things, like the Smoke and Hope Steel Challenge stage, if you're not familiar, it actually involves four quite large, I think they're 18 by 24 inch steel plates placed it a little like right around 10 yards, maybe a little bit less even. And you got two to the left of you and two to the right of you. And then straight down center, right in front of you down at like maybe 15, 18 yards. There's a, I think it's either an eight, I think it's a 10 inch plate actually around one. Okay. And that's actually the stop plate. So if you're not familiar with steel challenge competition, there's five plates. You can shoot them in any order you want, except that you don't want to shoot the stop plate till you've shot everything else. Because once you shoot the stop plate, your final plate, then your your run is over, and whatever time is generated, that's that's what gets recorded. And if you've missed anything along the way, those are penalties. So in Smoke and Hope, you're going to have two large, relatively close plates to the left of you, two to the right of you. You're going to want to shoot those four, uh, and then finish on the stop plate right in front and center which is considerably smaller and quite a bit of ways away, relatively speaking. Uh, so Smoke and Hope encourages you to go really fast. And then, of course, you got to put the brakes on in a big way to hit that stop plate because it's, I mean, it's it's a lot of throttle control, big time, you know, going as fast about it. Like it, this, frankly, is the about the fastest still challenge stage that there is, especially on those first four targets. And... And then you got to slow down and hit that little one, right? But here's what's interesting, Matthew. Quite often, you'll see shooters actually, well, you'll see misses on the, on, the, on the smaller stop plate. But you'll also see quite a few shooters missing the huge right-in-your-face up-close steel plates. And I have a theory on that. And the theory is, is that they're just simply blasting away at those targets as opposed to actually just shooting them. And there's a subtle and yet distinct and yet important, uh, you know, distinction there. And so um, it's really, and, 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 and frankly, so why we were, we're talking about this today is I think there's some great applicability to no matter what, what kind of shooting you do or the type of shooter that you are or the context that you carry or use a gun in. So whether you're a competition oriented shooter or concealed carry focused, defensive focused, law enforcement, whatever, okay, there is a, a, a an important lesson to be found in something like this smoke and hope still challenge stage. And I mean, there's a lot of lessons we could, you know, look at, uh, but uh, today we're going to focus on the, the idea that it's really tempting and easy to fall for the trap of just blasting away at brown or white or black or whatever you're particular target color is. I mean, for instance, you're wearing like a blue shirt today and you've got some writing on it. I'm wearing this black shirt from FTA, which, I mean, if you took away this logo and frankly, this logo would probably have a tendency of, of pulling your eyes away from the center 
of my chest, assuming if I was your target, meaning like some kind of human threat. And actually, that would be a little bit off center from where you'd probably ideally want to shoot. Uh, but this is probably where your eyes would be strongly drawn to if you're not careful. Okay. But if we took this away and you just had a, a plain field of black in color, it's a lot more difficult to actually focus on a precise point on this target and bring the gun to it and shoot, you know, good, accurate shots. It's the, the, the common pitfall is that shooters will recognize that their gun is on target, but they're really just sort of seeing black or brown or white and then blasting away. And that often results in less than desirable hits and outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, when, when you kind of introduced this topic before we, we went live, I, I, I thought that was interesting because the, the, the way you did kind of um, differentiate it, because I think, in, 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 you know, as you were talking, I was thinking, surely there is the, the, the competitive, we're, we're talking about running a steel challenge. So there's the competitive aspect of this. And, um, but even so there, there is, um, I'm, I'm thinking about defensive shootings and you, you kind of hit on it as far as like your eyes are, are naturally drawn to certain things. Um, it, you know, it, and if it's not a, a steel plate, that's all one color. Um, if, if it is a threat that, presents itself um you know we, we talk about you know the hands are a lot of times you know in um, austin vol shootings suspects hands get shot and i think part of that is you know if you're holding a weapon you're probably holding it kind of center mass in front of you so if you're you're, you're you know kind of um, tendency is to aim center mass you're likely to hit hands but i i think there's also an aspect of this that you know our eyes you know, are drawn to certain things and that might be a firearm or the, the weapon, um, in a certain case. And, um, and so, yeah, you know, when we do focus on something small, um, we, we can, we can better, um, you know, we can better look at our sites and make sure it's on a specific point rather than just a big broad area. And it might seem like it's easy to shoot a big black silhouette target. But um, I, I, and I know you've had this issue before seeing it with students, like um, somebody's having difficulty grouping and it's because you have kind of like this, you know, just like a, a big blank target. And as soon as you put a dot and you say like, Hey, I want you to group it on this dot, they can do it. Um, because now they have a, have a point. So I think, um, there's a lot that can be kind of, we could go into as far as like, there is a difference between just kind of like putting your, your sights over and saying there's black behind it. And, you know, my target's black and I'm just going to start cranking away and, um, actually having your sights on a fixed point of that target. And, um, yeah, I kind of like how you, how you kind of differentiated the two. Yeah, you know, I, I'm thinking of like a, an actual real world example of where people end up just blasting away at a target. Actually, we get a lot of examples of this, um, fortunately or unfortunately, depending how you want to look at it. I mean, it's always nice to have examples, right? We can learn from that stuff, uh, but we probably see it more often than what we 
should. And what I mean by that is uh, a lot of officer-involved shootings. We see a lot of badge cams. And, like, I, I've pulled one up here uh, that I was actually trying to find a different one that's a great example. Uh, we could even show it on the podcast potentially here. I know those that are listening only wouldn't probably be able to uh, make sense of it. But but let me, let me just go ahead and just describe what is commonly seen in some of these officer-involved shootings. And, again, not that this purely singles out police officers only. There's probably all kinds of civilian shootings that's that are not all that different to some to some extent um but we just don't get as many video examples of those and certainly we don't get video examples of those from first person view and that's actually uh an important distinction because from 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 a first person view of like a badge cam we can really get a sense of what the officers uh fundamentals are like or you know, how, just how effective they're actually being with the shots that they're fired. And there's lots of examples of basically just kind of blasting away at targets, at threats. And by that, like there's one I was trying to think or trying to find its example of, and I don't remember where it happened. I remember that the perpetrator that gets shot He's kind of on a grassy area beside an apartment building. Officer rolls up in his vehicle, exits, draws gun, issues commands, and the man is armed. I think with a, I think he pulls a gun out. If I recall, it might have, may have been. A, I'm pretty sure it was a. This was a, a gun. He whips around with a gun. Officer starts discharging his weapon, and you can watch in the video just how, like, there's there's a total lack of control over the gun, meaning that it just is kind of flailing about in his hands. Bam, 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 bam. Shots going all over the place, and it takes like a dozen or more shots for this officer to connect enough times to put a stop to the threat. And now again, I don't, I, I remember watching this and I just don't remember the exact example where it happened, when it happened. But the reality is, is that this example I just described is not alone. There's many others that are not all that dissimilar. And so uh, the example of like what's, what's being displayed there is threat is perceived and whether it's more of an emotional you know, like a lack of emotional control, meaning that, oh, crap, crap is hitting the fan and I'm purely reacting, drawing gun and just letting it rip because I'm, you know, I, I call it panic firing, which is sort of panicking because my life is hanging in the balance here and I haven't been tested enough or put to the fire enough or proven my skills enough to you know, other than just to grab gun and just start wailing away on the trigger. Or um, there, and that's probably what it is a lot of times, um, but part of that too could be, and this is the, the other part of that statement is, or explanation is that they perceive threat and you see this torso, this this body, you know, coming at you or threatening you, shooting at you, whatever, and you just perceive that the gun is somewhere on there and you're just letting uh, shots rip. You're just just sending them. 
without uh, very much discipline as far as pick point on target, lock on eyes. Okay, that's called convergence. You got to converge your eyes on a specific point on a target and bring the gun to that point. And then, you know, depending on what you perceive through your sight picture, as far as relative target size and distance, uh, you apply the appropriate level of uh, throttle control, you know, to, to get good hits on that target. But the thing here is, is, I mean, this is super important from a liability standpoint, because uh, when we just blast away at a target and our discipline and control of those shots is not what it needs to be, there's obviously a greater uh, likelihood of misses and every miss potentially has a, a lawyer attached to it, uh, meaning lawsuits, civil lawsuits, uh, potentially the ramifications of having to live for the rest of your life with knowing that uh, an innocent party was severely injured or killed. And we had an officer involved shooting here in Denver not too long ago outside of a bar or a nightclub or whatever late at night. And, uh, you know, officer fired a number of shots and hit multiple bystanders. Uh, that's a problem, right? And that, that's it. And that's another example of this sort of thing I'm, I'm talking about here. Uh, so the flip side of that is, and actually it came up in my suggested uh, feed, um, but there's an, another video of an officer engaging a threat at a pretty good distance. It's actually one that John Korea uses as an example of a questionable officer-involved shooting, pr- partly because of the distance, meaning that uh, you know this this uh, threat is far enough away and is moving is running away, and the officer engages, and you know it's a difficult shot. We're talking like thirty plus yards, and I mean not not that that can't be done. Uh, but the officer is kind of moving at a pretty good clip himself and then pauses and, and shoots and um, the, the, the target also moving. And uh, I don't I recall there wasn't even like a very, you know, obvious or visible weapon present. Um, so anyway, we see officer involved shooting uh, examples where there's a lack of control and discipline for the shots. And, uh, and, and they may be justified, but we have the potential for missing uh, those sh- those shots and putting others at risk, uh, or not putting down the threat in an, an effective enough manner or quickly enough, right? And then there's examples too where officers are well in control, and I, I could pick from examples where they demonstrate you know excellent control and discipline in their shots. Uh, but that that one just came to mind where I, that officer displayed actually pretty remarkable uh, shooting control, but. But it may not have been, you know, the best uh, shoot overall. Anyway, mm-hmm. now on the competitive side of things, we see examples. I, I've experienced it myself, uh, but a lot of times when shooters get involved in the competitive shooting sports for the first time, you'll see like at first people tend to be pretty careful, you know, because they're learning this new sport, if you will, and just trying to get familiar with the rules, the way it's operated. Uh, get comfortable with running a course of fire that can be sometimes rather complex with targets in all sorts of directions. You know, one of the pieces of advice I often give 
newer competitors is, well, first, for, first and foremost, just be safe in your first match, right? Um, as we see mistakes sometimes happen, that's even rel- even then it's relatively rare, but sometimes it happens where a shooter turns the wrong direction or is not mindful of the 180 degree rule, you know, which is keeping the muzzle downrange within 180 degrees of the back berm. And, uh, so, you know, advice is, Hey, be safe and then have fun and just focus on being safe and learning how to shoot a USPSA or IDPA stage, uh, safely and get through it. But very quickly, I see shooters that get comfortable after a time, after they kind of get the idea, uh, of it down. And then they start ramping up the speed because, you know, you like going fast. It's fun. It's exhilarating. You get a little bit of a, an adrenaline rush, you know, uh, of, hey, this is a fun shooting game. And now I'm going to let it rip a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, it's actually really interesting when you see competitive shooters, it looks like they burn a stage down. They're just, you know, having fun and just... You know, they get through it and blast and everything, you know, in a pretty timely fashion. Uh, and, and sometimes what you'll see is uh, that, that actually they do an okay job on some of the more difficult shots because they those shots actually, like, get their attention and sort of, like, force them to slow down and be like, oh, this is a relatively small target with most of it obscured by a no-shoot target or, you know, something like that. Or maybe it's a steel target that's you know, 20 yards away and you got to, you know, just exercise a little bit more care. But then as you look at some of the closer up open targets, just wide open targets, you'll see either really poor hits, meaning not very many alphas, see lots of Charlies and maybe even some deltas, or even see some misses or we call them mics on the, on the close up targets. And that happens because they are basically seeing brown because a lot of times these, you know, and don't take this as like a racial thing or anything like that, right? But USPSA targets made out of standard cardboard, right? And so they'll see, we call it just blasting, you know, two at brown because uh, you just see the brown color of the cardboard target and you're like, yeah, bam, 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 you know? And uh, so shooters are sometimes disappointed when they get you know they get they get done they're like oh man that was awesome and then they hear the ro's calling out hits and it's like alpha mike charlie delta dude charlie delta mike (laughs) on like some of the easiest targets and it's like whoa what the heck happened there and so that's another example like it happens more more commonly than you'd think perhaps i've experienced it you know, as in my earlier on in my uh, sh- shooting journey, and every once in a while, I'll still have a miss on a really close target, and that's usually just a factor of uh, just transitioning a little bit too quickly on or off a target. But uh, uh, it doesn't happen nearly as much as what it you know once upon a time did for me. Uh, but the t- the reason that happens again is because you you just you see, hey, big brown cardboard target guns there let it rip one two and it also is kind of a lot of times it's a single sight picture and two shots so like a true double tap and that's not ideal either uh you know i've learned a lot about discipline and making sure that i am i'm 
you know, giving each target respect. Now I might not have to see a lot in my site picture on a close, you know, three yard USPSA target. Uh, but I still need to like get my eyes locked onto the center of that and hold myself accountable for two shots, seeing the gun lift, return, lift, return before I move to the next one. And so, uh, anyway, the point is, is just to talk about some examples of how we see in the real world examples of people just blasting away at a threat target, but also in the competitive world, uh, we see that happen quite often as well. We see it happen, you know, and, and again, this all started with the Steel Challenge uh, competition of Smoke and Hope with four large, very close steel targets. And sometimes those are where the misses actually occur because we're just not actually following the process of getting hits on those targets. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, obviously this is a shooter ready challenge, uh, episode. So, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about using, doing this in dry fire, but clearly, I mean, the steel challenge is, is, is done in live fire, but I think I went back, you, you mentioned, um, you know, that there's a, a lot of videos that many videos that we, you can, access uh on the shooter ready challenge website um, we've been doing this i didn't realize this since october of 2019 every month since october 2019 and it's march of 2023 um we've been doing three and a half years yeah so three and a half years worth of videos um and so, you know, and sometimes there's overlap and there's, there's some, and with anything, right. We're talking about like, you know, in, in this drill, in this, uh, steel, steel challenge, we're talking about, you know, transitions and throttle control. Um, and, and th- those are fundamentals that you'll see in many other shooter ready challenges in different ways. And, um, in, in, but, um, if you go on there, you know, it, it I, I appreciate that you, um, this month that you, when you ran this drill, uh, through, through, uh, dry fire, you're obviously using LASR, the, the shot reporting, um, uh, software, but you used a cool fire trainer, which is, is really cool. It, it, you know, sim- it allows you to use a striker fire gun, simulate recoil. And, um, with that laser, um, adapter or attachment, you can actually get an impulse, a, a laser, you know, uh, shot so you can get repeated shots. Um, it, the cool fire trainer is expensive, right? So not everybody probably has one. Um, cert gun would obviously be a good, a good, uh, you know, alternative cause you can get repeated, um, laser, uh, hits, they're not super expensive. They're relatively expensive. They're not cheap. Um, but you also mentioned, and I, 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 you know, maybe you can go a little deeper on this, but like how you, you're breaking down this steel challenge by using a, um, a laser dot where, you know, even with the striker fire gun, you're only going to get one laser impulse, but you can set it up to, you know, you start on one target at, at the beep, you transition to the next target and you're getting your splits. And so even if you can't do the whole, you know, um, steel challenge in aggregate, you can break it down into, you know, smaller, smaller, uh, regardless of whatever kind of gear you have at your home right now, you can do this and get better at it. And I think, um, that's really cool. So I appreciate that you, you, you know, you gave multiple ways to do this. Um, 
so you know you're not just saying hey you got to buy this four hundred dollar kit to kit uh, to to right. run this drill. Well, that's been important for to us since the beginning of Shooter Aid Challenge is to uh, present dry fire ideas and drills and things in a manner that you know as many people as possible hopefully could actually use them. And you don't have to have the laser app software sure. to participate in these Shooter Aid Challenge drills either. Uh, that they're not, it's nice to have, I think, uh, as far as measuring metrics. Uh, but uh, ultimately, we just want people to be doing dry fire, and you can go through all the same things that we do in any of these shooter aid challenge videos. But just do them, you know, in dry fire, just the old fashioned way with y- your your gun. Um, no laser dot trainer, no software, you know, no webcams. Just put some targets up on the wall and and do the dry fire thing, man. You know, like it's like dry fire is dry fire. Uh, it's cool that we're in a time, a day and an age where, uh, we have tech, a lot, all kinds of cool technology available to us, uh, both on the software front and the hardware front as well. But, uh, yeah, uh, just to touch on that a little bit more for those listening. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, even though I use the cool fire trainer, which use compressed, uses compressed gas to reciprocate the gun, you, you replace the barrel and recoil spring assembly in your actual live gun. It's completely safe, of course, to do. You you put the cool fire barrel in your gun. You put their recoil spring and assembly in in your gun. You reassemble your gun. They even sell a laser a laser module that you can screw onto the end of that, and uh, and it, and and it recognizes. You know, it, it actually is uh, the laser is fired by the uh, you know pickup of vibration from the from the initially actually from it. You'd think it's from the gun moving, but actually it's sensitive enough that when the striker release or the hammer releases, it will activate that laser. So that laser is activated before the gun even starts to move. And uh, yeah, so I'm using that fancy tool and cool fire is awesome because I can get repeated shots with simulated recoil. The thing I appreciate the most with that is it disrupts my sight picture and forces me to reacquire the sights. And that requires also having somewhat consistent grip control, if you will. And so it's not a perfect system, but it's not bad and it's fun and it mixes it up. But yeah, it's $300 plus to get into that system. I think it is close to $400 once you add the laser module. And, uh, I, you know, I don't use it all the time, but I do use it, uh, periodically in my dry fire when I, when I, when I want the benefits that come from using it, which is what I just described, a disrupted sight picture, uh, from shot to shot with, uh, some amount of simulated recoil control. And so, uh, yeah, it's cool, but guess what? Back to what you were just touching on, uh, while I use that with the laser X software to, see and i use the laser app printed target as well which is done to scale as long as you're standing the appropriate distance away from it 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 shows the the five targets from that steel challenge stage smoke and hope and you program those targets actually the software does a great job of auto picking those up when you launch it and programming those targets in and that's great you know and if you have the software one thing you could do like you just mentioned is you can if you just have a laser dot trainer that's the little laser cartridge i did have one here recently but little tiny thing right 
about the size of a cartridge inserts into the chamber of your gun is fired quote unquote, uh, by the striker or hammer, um, and, uh, fires off a, a laser, you know, a brief intermittent laser. And that's great. You can use that with the software. And if you don't have a reciprocating gun or a resetting gun or a cert pistol, like you just mentioned, I can still get a lot of the same data. I can start with my gun aimed in on one target and practice a near transition and on the beep of the software transition over to my next target and hit the trigger. And that'll give me the, the time it took me to do that transition. I could do that doing a wide transition and compare that to the, to the short or narrow transition. I could even simulate and it wouldn't be perfect, but it would get you somewhat close and still be kind of somewhat fun. But if I wanted to shoot that entire still challenge stage, I could just, you know, half press the trigger on my first four targets and simulate those trigger presses and then go to my stop plate and then hit the trigger fully to fire the laser and have it capture what my theoretical time would be on the, on the whole still challenge stage. So lots of, you know, and I just mentioned that stuff so that, uh, you know, people can think and be aware of like, there's more than one way to approach uh, this method of dry fire practice with, things like laser software uh, being used and and things of that nature. Question here from Guy Austin on Facebook. He says he's in, he's from Oklahoma, uh, which is where the 2023 guardian conference will be. And I have something exciting to say with regards to that uh, as part of answering this question, but he said, would force on force firearms training while simulated conflict conflict, uh, i.e. sim house, uh, would it help civilian shooters with reacting under the pressure of someone firing back at them? And yeah, I absolutely think that would be uh, beneficial, right? To be able to, I mean, I, absolutely. If you can get force on force training, you should absolutely do that. Uh, I think that is one of the better ways to get comfortable with keeping cool and staying process focused, even when faced with a threat uh, so, cause you know, even in simu- simunitions or force on force type training, you don't want to, you don't want to get hit. And actually there's a pain penalty a lot of times with those systems as well. Uh, may not be, you know, super significant, but there is a pain penalty. So absolutely you got to, you know, keep your cool and stay calm under fire and stay process focused, process focused, meaning that, okay, identify my threat, get my gun on that threat, see what I need to see in terms of site confirmation fire the shots I need to fire until I put that threat down. So absolutely. Now the, the thing I can tell you guy and others that I'm excited about is that for the first time at the 2023 guardian conference, we will have a force on force training block, uh, taught by Chris Seipert, who will be one of, he'll actually be a new instructor for us this year and he will be doing a force on force class. And I am super excited about that. In fact, I hope to have Chris on the podcast at a future date and time to talk about that a little bit and uh, preview a little bit what we will see at the Guardian Conference this year. So that'll be a great opportunity for you, Guy, and others that would like to attend the Guardian Conference to come and actually get a, some force-on-force training. Yeah, that that is, uh, I, I mean, Guy, you kind of, it was a good, good little segue into there because, um, yeah, I, I didn't realize uh, this is the first time I'm finding out about, uh, that, that course. And, and that's awesome because if you've never participated in 
legit force on force training where there is some sort of um, control over what's going on. We're not, I'm not talking about just like running around shooting people with paintballs and, you know, there, there is some, uh, you know, some benefit to that. But when, when, when it's um, kind of, it's directed in, in the sense that there um, are some, some parameters and, 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 um, put around how you, you, you're using the force on force and, 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 and that kind of thing. Um, it is eye opening. And I think it's something that you can't experience no matter how you try to, you know, set up the range and do dry fire and do all these things. You can't, um, really, you can't do certain things that you can on force and force. And you really start to see that it's, it, there's more to, um, surviving a shooting or, or, or performing well during a shooting than just fundamentals of shooting. And then, you know, so you see like in, I don't want to go off on a total different, a total tangent. Normally I leave that to Riley, but I'll do it just for a second. Um, you know, we, like, there's a lot of people that will say like, well, a lot of untrained, relatively untrained people are successful in, in, in shootings because they happen quote quick or, you know, close distances, um, in, in, you know, in maybe the, the, uh, attacker isn't as well trained or, or t- these types of arguments. Um, and that might be true. I, I mean, there are certainly times where, um, you know, people pick up guns that they're not, they don't train. They, they, you know, extend the gun towards the direction of the attacker and they squeeze the trigger and hit the, hit, hit the attacker. Um, but you definitely start to see the difference in their approach and how that they 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 pick the right time to use the firearm or they're um you know they're using cover effectively where they don't get hit increasing their chance of surviving even if they do get a hit on the other person right so like you start to see how the tactics and I hate using that term, but the technique and, 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 and that part of it marries up with the, the fundamentals of shooting. And it's just something you can't, you can't really reproduce in any other way. So, yeah. um, yeah. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, force on force training is about the closest we can get to actual gunfighting, right? Uh, where we don't have, uh, people actually getting hurt, you know, <laughs> while doing it. So, uh, yeah, super, super good to be able to pursue if you have that opportunity. And again, we'll have a wonderful opportunity at the 2023 Guardian Conference. And so, shameless plug, hey, <laughs> go sign up and get your tickets today, uh, guardianconference.com. I can tell you that the super early bird price is going away very, very soon, probably in the next few days or so. So, I jump on that ASAP if you can. Uh, and we'd like to see you all. Uh, it'd be a great time. And Chris Seipert be one of our new instructors there. We'll have a couple other new instructors as well that I'm really excited about. And we'll be mentioning those and featuring some of them uh, in, in the near future. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's important to us to have some new and some different every year, actually, to have, you know, a healthy crop of instructors, if you will. I mean, where there's, there's a, there's good variety and, uh, you know, the, we want some some stuff the same, meaning that there's just good, solid 
foundational training year to year to year that you can kind of know and count on being there and also some things that will be a little bit new and different each time and some new faces each time so that we're exposed to additional perspectives and concepts and approaches and that's a good thing so yeah yeah and i think um you know if you guys are on the the fence or anything like that i you know, Riley, you mentioned that the tickets are going up and, you know, uh, that, that discounted pricing will go away. And so, I mean, this is a, it's, it's a great opportunity and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm really still kind of pumped about the whole force on force thing. Cause that's not something that, um, you know, it, you can typically do. Um, yep. it, it, it's, it's just a difficult, it's a different type of training that, that you can't typically do. And I'm, I'm super excited that, that yeah. that's going to be there. Yeah. So anyway, uh, to, we, to get kind of back more to the topic where we started, uh, again, we started with this all focused on the, the idea that it's important that we don't just, you know, that we don't disrespect targets, even when they seem to be easy or relatively close. It's even on close targets. It's really important. And this is how this works, guys. Uh, and gals, uh, if you want to get consistent, reliable hits on target at speed, including with quick transitions, and keep in mind, tracking a moving target is a form of transition. So, you know, I'm not just talking about competition games here where you've got, you know, numerous targets and you're shooting them John Wick style. I'm talking like, if you if you need to get reliable hits on center mass of a target, even at close distance, and if that target's moving, which they often can be, uh, that's no different than a transition. So what is really important is that we select and get our eyes on a specific aiming point on that target and bring the gun to where our eyes are converged. If that does not happen, uh, and, and I'll tell you, it, this is scientifically proven. Uh, if you go research anything that Dr. Joan Vickers has done with quiet eye research and quiet eye theory, uh, there's some things from Forest Science Institute that touch on the same sort of thing, but it is not uncommon for people to have their eyes saccade a little bit. That means that they don't really fixate their gaze on a specific point that it's just kind of floating around, if you will, on a target. And if that's what you're experiencing when trying to shoot a gun, uh, you will get inconsistent results. You'll get inconsistent hits on target. Uh, if you, there are transitions involved, you're going to have some shots that miss their mark because if your eyes don't, if, if your gaze does not fixate, on a specific point and then bring that gun to that point where you keep the eye there and the gun there while it's fired, you're going to have less than desirable results. It's just a fact. So, uh, yeah, like this is, you know, we started off talking with still talking, talking about ch still challenge and smoke and hope stage and how misses happen a lot of times on the close, easy targets. And it's because they are disrespected and, and by disrespect, I mean that we think that they're easy. So we don't give them the same visual value 
that's required of any other target, meaning that we're, we, we tend to gloss over them with our eyes and we send two quick shots and we think we're good and then we move on. And we find out when we check hits, we're like, nope, not good. So it's super, super important. So this brings us down to how important it is to stay with the process of getting those hits on target. And what that process is, and this was introduced by Brian Enos in his book, Practical Shooting, way back when, where he says, locate the target. That's step one. That's 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 a visual process primarily. Okay, so locating the target that 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 implies we're identifying a target, right? So this applies whether it's a defensive shooter, or a competition one doesn't matter. Got to locate and identify that target, get the eye on the target, and specifically on a specific point on that target. Then we get the gun on the target. Okay, and we and that's also primarily a visual process as well, because how do we know, Matthew, how do we know when the, when the gun's on target? I'm sorry. How do we know when the gun's on target? Yeah. Our, our sites are, we'll confirm it. There you go. We, we got to, there's gotta be some kind of visual feedback mm-hmm. through the gun that says, you know, my eyes are on target. Now is my gun on target? If I see, if, if I see some kind of aiming or sight reference on target, then that tells me, yep, I'm on target. And then the third part, of the process is keep the gun on target while mm-hmm. I press the trigger. Yeah. I, I had a question for you. Yeah. Um, cause we, we've talked about this, uh, offline and, and, and I know you've done a lot of research on this and we've, we kind of come up with some ideas, but like for somebody who's listening and we're talking about the importance of having that, uh, you know, um, getting used to picking out a spot on the target. What are some techniques that you've used to better train that aspect of it. Cause it is a visual thing. It's something that you can work on even without your, your firearm. Um, and, yep. and so what, what would be some tips that you would give somebody who's, who's struggling with that, or this is a new concept. Yeah. So it's funny. Cause I actually just was on somebody else's podcast uh, earlier today. Uh, and I, this very same thing came up as a topic of discussion. The first thing I think is, to be aware of what your eyes are doing at all times. Just to simply be aware, because most of us don't think about what our eyes are doing or how we're looking at things or where specifically we're looking. Like we just tend to, I mean, we've been, for those of us that are blessed to have been so, which is most of us, uh, born so from birth, blessed with the ability to see and take in visual information. we, we, we tend to just look and intuitively without much conscious thought at all, sort of like breathing, right? We don't think about breathing until I say something and they're like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, like you, you can be conscious of your breathing, but you tend not to think about it. The same is true of our eyesight. We don't really think about how we are looking or taking in visual information. We just do it and then, and we take it for granted to a large extent, right? So the first step I think is just being becoming conscious, consciously aware of how you are utilizing your eyes and your vision to take in information. Okay. And part of that is you can like right now I can look at my screen here, you know, I mean I could pick something like uh I don't know, here's this icon. Okay. So 
I can look at that icon and I can, you know, just sort of take it in generally, or I can drill down more specifically. It's like the old aims, you know, classic aim small, miss small concept, right? Which is kind of what we're talking about here, where I can just look generally at that icon or I can be more consciously aware of how I'm looking at it and I can get more specific. And so, so actually the icon I'm looking at on my screen is the, is our logo, our company logo. You see it in the upper screen of our, our video here for those of you watching. Okay. And I can look at that and take it all in generally, or I can get more specific. And in the very center of that, you'll see the, the words concealed carry.com are superimposed over top of that. And I can look more and more specifically at that, including focusing on like the letter L for instance, or the gap between the L and the E. Uh, if you want to get really specific, I could try to you know look at the little space in the triangle in the letter A, you know, and like, not even just the triangle, but look at the tip of that triangle. You see what I mean? So like we can we can always we can try to be more consciously aware of how specifically we are converging our eyes on a point and taking that information in. Okay, so that's I think that's like step one of training your eyes on how to how to do this kind of thing. Another great example is just putting post-it notes up around a room or your house. And you can start by, you know, putting like a little dot or a small square or something in the center of them uh, just to make it a little bit easier for your eyes to have something specific to focus on. But eventually, you, I would think of that, you know, that dot in the center of that post-it note as being training wheels. And I eventually want to take that away. And after I've gotten, you know, really good at shifting my eyes from post-it note to post-it note to post-it note and you know, focusing on the center of that on whatever dot or triangle or star or whatever I put in the middle of it, but then take that, take that focus point away and then really try to be hyper visually aware of, am I getting my eye now to the center of that sticky note? You know I mean? They're just yellow or orange or pink or purple in color. They're, it's all the same, you know, color field and it's, more challenging than you realize to get your eye to look at the precise middle or even just a specific point in the middle of that color field when you don't have a specific point or object on which to fixate. Um, but that's a really good practice is to be able to do that. And that will help you, I think, as well with things like acquiring targets and 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 fixating, you know, specifically on a, on an aim point on those targets. Um yeah, those will probably be two tips. I could I could give some more things, but that, that's that's a. I actually do quite a bit of dry fire in my life now, just visually, of just practicing the idea of getting my eye from thing to thing to thing, and trying to make sure that I'm looking at the center or the very middle of that thing. Yeah. And, and, and what you're describing, you know, we're talking about one target, but what you're describing is really a key element of transitions. And we talked about it before is like your eyes have to lead, lead, lead the gun slightly. Right. And so you, you, when you're transitioning from one target to another, that's what you're doing. You're picking up that spot on that target and, and the gun is, is, is following behind, um, ever so slightly, you know, and, and so, um, you know, you're kind of bringing the gun to bear on that spot. And so what you're explaining is something that, you know, we can use on single targets or 
transitions, which is goes right back to our, our challenge. So, yep. Yeah. And, and to be clear, and we've talked about this before, uh, but ideally like for maximum efficiency in transitions after, after we're done shooting target a, let's say, and we got to go to target B like eyes and gun before the gun has fully recovered and gone back into battery. Ideally <laughs> eyes and gun can leave target a simultaneously, but by nature of, you know, the fact that moving my eyes from point A to point B really doesn't take much effort and can happen really, really fast. And that moving the gun is more of a physical act uh, that's going to take some amount of effort slash time. Uh, your eyes will beat the gun to the next target. But but the point is, it's not like we, we shoot target A and then leave the gun there while the eyes go to target B and then move the gun. When right. I say lead, leading the gun with eyes, it's really important that we are specific in our understanding that it, ideally it's I shoot target A and when I see my sights lift on target A, that tells me shots fired. I can call a shot based on that information and then instantaneously eyes and gun should start moving now to target B and eyes will get there before the gun, but it's important that they actually get to a specific point because then, then the gun can come to where the eyes are looking. When we don't have a specific aim point, that's where we tend to see particularly over transitioning or when we move our eyes in a lackadaisical fashion, meaning that like we move eyes and gun, but we kind of track the gun with the eyes. Uh, that also will lead to poor transitions because basically subconsciously we, we have all the tools we need mentally, you know, uh, cognitively to look at a point and bring a gun over and have everything subconsciously decelerate at the appropriate time to bring that gun in line with where the eyes are converged. But if our eyes aren't converged on a very specific point, then we don't know where to start decelerating and where to stop the gun. And so then we end up with sloppy transitions. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Good stuff, man. So we're about out of time. Uh, Kind of talked all around all kinds of things, uh, all somewhat related. And, you know, ultimately again, comes down to don't blast away at targets shoot the targets and the way we shoot the targets is by sticking to and abiding by the process of shooting which is locate the target get the gun on target and then keep it there while we press the trigger and if we fail to follow that process we will not get desired results and that has to be done even under stress sometimes uh with with a great degree of discipline, which is not, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say it's easy to do. It's not, but it's important to do if we want to have maximum success. So yep. good luck to you. And that's part of the reason why we do dry fire. And hopefully you find value in things like shoot array challenge so that you get ideas for dry fire and how to conduct it better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can also, if you participate, you can also, win uh different prizes monthly prizes and things like that so it benefits you all all different ways yeah, in fact at the bottom if you go to shooterratechallenge.com and go to the bottom of the page you'll see the place to put in your first name and email address that's it and this doesn't add you to any other mailing list this adds you to the um 
well, you'll you'll get emails from from us at concealcarry.com, but specifically, you'll get emails with regards to the shoot array challenge. All right, and you'll get notified when new new challenges are up and published. You'll get notified if you want to be on that mailing list. If you want to have an opportunity to win uh, monthly prizes, so that's where you go to do that. Again, this month's Shooter Ray Challenge and today's episode is sponsored by LaserApp.com, L-A-S-R-A-P-P.com, and by BarrelBlock.com. That is spelled B-A-R-R-E-L-B-L-O-K.com. BarrelBlock, no C, just BarrelBlock with a K. And we appreciate our sponsors and your support of our sponsors to make what we do here possible. And so it's time, I think, to bid you all adieu until next time. Matthew, thank you very much, sir. Thank you, sir. And thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it. And so until next time, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Take care.